0: Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And uh, we begin our conversations today, uh, of this week, about the death of Freddie Gray two years later, the consent decree and more, what our city has come to. We'll hear a conversation next hour with the folks who uh, created Tubman House on Pressman Street, which is the place where Freddie Gray was arrested and the incredible work they're doing in the community down there. Um, but we start a conversation today looking at some of the legal aspects that we're facing here in Baltimore on the consent decree, what it means, what changes we've seen with the police who are not, uh, what they mean, uh, and where we're going. We want to get your thoughts and ideas at 410-319-8888. We'd like to write, have you write us here by email to talk at steinershow.org. Tweet us at Mark Steiner, but do join in. We want to hear your ideas. In studio here with me is Dr. Ken Morgan. Ken Morgan is assistant professor and coordinator of Urban Studies Program and the Department of Criminal Justice and Applied Political and, Sci- and Political Sciences at Copper State University. Ken, always good to have you back in the studio. Welcome.
1: Hey, Mark. How are you doing?
0: I'm very well. Good.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Good to have you here. Joining us by phone is Brittany Oliver, who is a writer, advocate, and photojournalist, a nonprofit leader based here in the city. She's Police Accountability Coordinator and Communications Associate at the American Civil Liberties Union of Maryland. Uh, and Brittany, welcome back. Good to have you with us.
2: Great. Thank you, Mark.
0: And Tara Hoffman is Director of Criminal and uh, Juvenile Justice Programs at the Open Society Institute. And Tara, welcome. Good to have you with us as well as always.
3: Good to be back, Mark.
0: Thank you. 410-319-8888 is the number here. So let me ask a broad question first. I really want folks to join in and, 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 and get your thoughts out, whether you're a police officer, we'd like to hear from you, or whether you have your interactions with the police over these last two years, since uh, Freddie Gray was arrested and uh, died uh, as a result of being arrested, do join us. We want to hear your ideas at 410-319-8888. What's happening in your community? Um, what have you seen? What have you felt? What you've heard? What you've experienced? Where do you think we are? Where do you think we have to go? So, uh, Tara, let me, let me start uh, asking this question first. Because I- it's confusing about where this consent decree is. Um, we've heard various people in the show at different times saying, okay, the consent decree is now under the court, so there's something they can do about it has to go ahead. But then I've heard other things. and read articles saying that since Jeff Sessions is now attorney general under Donald Trump, that they can um, not pursue it and not, and, and not really make it vigorous. And they clearly don't have to go after any other consent decrees around the country. So what is the situation uh, legally um, and politically? So
3: legally, uh, the consent decree has been finalized. Um, it is under the jurisdiction of the court, neither the city, nor the Baltimore police department, nor DOJ can unilaterally undo the consent decree for purposes of Baltimore, Maryland. It is law. Um, and all parties are required to comply with the consent decree and Judge Verdard and the federal court have jurisdiction over the decree and uh, per the consent decree, they will be identifying uh, and appointing a federal monitor whose job it will be to enforce the consent decree and that federal monitor does not work for the city. He or she, or I should say the team will not work for the city, will not work for the police department and will not work for DOJ. The federal monitor works for the judge. And he or the team will answer to the judge. And so that's where we are legally.
4: Politically,
3: um, you ostensibly want all three parties, and particularly the Department of Justice, acting as a robust partner in making sure that the consent decree is enforced. When you have one or more parties pulling or pushing against the consent decree, it just makes getting into agreement on how, what is compliance, how do you measure compliance, how do you compliance. compliance. Um, if you have one or more parties challenging some part of the consent decree post consent decree, it just makes everyone's job more difficult. So there is the real concern um, that even though the consent decree has been finalized, um, and even though the city and the Baltimore Police Department um, will be held in compliance, you know, to compliance with the consent decree, that the Department of Justice could sort of back off um, and not play its role in sort of pushing the city and the police department forward, being a full-on partner with the courts and with the federal monitor. And so that's the reason that even those of us who support the consent decree um, are very happy that Judge Radar went forward and signed the consent decree over DOJ's objection. We're still concerned because we recognize that if the DOJ... We, we, we already knew... Um, you know, to enforce the consent decree, we were going to sort of have to fight things on different fronts, you know, fight apathy in the community, um, fight any resistant forces that are still within the Baltimore Police Department, fight any resistance that might come up in terms of not having the necessary resources, um, having to also fight the Department of Justice um, was never something that we contemplated until after the elections, And so that is a concern.
0: So then, so then, Brittany Oliver, what what do other advocates like you do then? I mean, because this clearly could start; it could it could begin to stymie the process, which has kind of been not really started with any vigor so far, at least seems to me. But you all can challenge that.
2: Sure. So I so um so I think that I first want to say that you know the concerns around a consent decree are not are not new, um. You know, even before the Trump administration, a lot of people were concerned with the, the concern with the process um, and the hostility from the administration towards police reform in Baltimore is no surprise, especially to communities who are most affected. Uh, which is why myself and a lot of other advocates have said that the decree is not the only answer, but is a it is a tool that is necessary to achieve systemic reform. Um, a lot of our focus in um, coalition work both locally and statewide is that there needs to be an independent monitor to, su- to supervise the process and to keep both parties, all parties focused on effective implementation of goals. Ideally, the monitor will also act as a bridge between the courts, the city, and the police department and the communities being policed in order to build trust and ensure community input. So I say that with it keep while well, keeping in mind that I think that in order for the decree process to move forward in in the most effective way advocates uh, and the city and all parties need to ensure that we invest into community engagement within this process because if we don't it defeats the entire purpose of what communities have been advocating for
0: since the Baltimore Uprising and even before, decades before. Ken, as an involved citizen, outside observer and teacher, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, this is my uh, very humble input of about 45 years of activism uh, in Baltimore uh, and basically the world. Um, Bottom line, is that consent decree or no consent decree, um, unfortunately, I believe that the issues will continue with the police in one way or another, especially uh, misconduct and uh, police brutality. Historically, um, uh, consent decrees have met with limited success. And uh, it is actually uh, the advocacy, I believe, Mark, that Uh, is the bottom line in reference to um, at least tampering down the kinds of police misconduct and uh, uh, brutality. Let me just give you an example. Um, If you uh, put the adjective um, drug-related in reference to um, anything uh, that's, that's related to police, you will find... Uh, that uh, that will not make the headlines. and But still, it doesn't make any difference whether something uh, uh, could be drug-related or not, which is usually a thought of the press. Um, and uh, you, what you have is a situation, that, a police brutality, a misconduct situation that's not identified. Just in reference to the, the consent decree itself, it's very watered down, and... Um, and um, there's a lot of jumping in up and down about it. But um, for example, where, where's the Lia where, Where's the law officers? There's no nothing that addresses the uh, the, the state uh, legislation involving, uh, for example, not having the police testify within ten days.
0: The law officers' bill of rights we're talking about,
1: uh, okay, right? Correct. So the, uh, there, there, are just a number of different training. How many times do we need to be, how, how many times do the police need to be trained? Trained about what? Uh, so th- these are all things I think that means that the, uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, movement, not in this organization, and those activists uh, need, need to continue to be vigilant in reference to, um, in reference to police misconduct.
0: So, I, I folks, do join us 410-319-8888. Where do you see this consent to be going? I know there are many people who have been on the show who think the consent degree is not uh, that important, and I know I know Tara, that's not something you agree with. Uh, but there have been there are activists you worked with, you know, very intimately that do think that 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 this is not going to take us anywhere, especially with this new administration. I really want to probe that in some depth here. I mean, you have Jess, Jeff Sessions making it very clear in his statements that. Um, He does not think police departments uh, need to be uh, attacked. Um, I think, as he put it, what what was his exact quote about this consent decree? He said, so that's an august responsibility of the Attorney General and Department of Justice. So cities often feel forced to agree to a consent decree just to remove that stigma. And sometimes there are difficulties there. So I I just think we need to be careful and respectful of departments. So, I mean, very clearly that's where they're leaning. Um, um, and so I, you know, I just, and, and when you look at um, where our department's going and what things is the, that, that have been changed or not changed, I mean, what, what do we think, what does this portend about where this is going to take us? I mean, because it has, you in know, in, we've, we we've seen the department saying all officers now have to wear uniforms, and that's become a big issue for many people. Um, Is Tara still there? We just lost Tara. She's coming right back. But Britton, why don't you jump in then?
2: Sure. Um, I'll say that, you know, when I heard the comments by attorney, um, you know, Jeff Sessions, I believe that he said in a statement that he supports, you know, reform, but has, you know, a lot of uh, like a lot of people have great, great concerns about some of the provisions um, and, and how it will reduce the lawful powers of police departments and will result in a less safe city. The issue with his statement is that police departments already have more power than they need or that they're supposed to have. Um, and I'm, and his statement makes me wonder, did he read the Department of Justice's 160-page report on detailing civil rights violations within the department? Uh, Sessions also said that the consent decree process negotiated, again, was, you know, was a rush process at the time. And especially when Baltimore is facing a quote-unquote violent crime and crisis. However, I would argue that the violent crime in Baltimore is not new. It's a symptom of historic inequities, um, and, and these are the type of things that I believe that the administration needs to focus on. Because, again, this is, this is not new. If the officials are committed for better policing, then they'll listen to the needs of their constituents.
0: And, and Tara, you're back with us? Yes. Great. Good, good, good. So, so you know, and picking up on the, on, the, on that point, I mean, one of the things, again, and I, and I hate Katie harping on this, but I think it's really important because it has to do with the tenor of how we move ahead, um, that, you know, earlier this month, um, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, ordered a review of police consent decrees um, and, you know, saying he's going to have it reviewed by his top two deputies that people think throws into question the, just where all this may, may, may will take place. It was put out on March the 21st um, when he writes things like the safety and, and protection of, of the public is paramount concern and the duty of law enforcement officials, really kind of uh, the, the misdeeds of individuals, uh, bad actors should not impinge or undermine the legitimate and honorable work of law enforcement and agencies. I mean, he's very clearly kind of pushing back here in a very major way. So, I mean, that's why I agree I'm pushing so hard is because this has to have an effect. You already have a mayor uh, here in Baltimore, Catherine Pugh, who seems really reluctant to want to pursue the consent decree on some levels because of what she says it will cost. So, I mean, this interplay here, uh, where where does it take us?
3: So I think um, I'll echo what both um, Brittany and Dr. Morgan have said, which is, and we knew we, being the advocacy community, knew going in and have always owned up to the fact that the consent decree is not a panacea. The consent mm-hmm. decree is not, I agree, that the consent, consent decree is not gonna get us where we want to go. Um, but it, it's a tool that we can use to get where we wanna go. I think that it's an important tool because it has introduced a third party, um, being the federal court and a federal monitor into the process. And so. Um, as the, uh, the posture, the philosophy even of particularly Attorney General Sessions um, and his ability to sort of um, frankly poison <laughs> um, DOJ and the good work that DOJ has accomplished over the last um, few years is of concern. Um, I think the one thing for us to continue to recognize is again, the DOJ cannot unilaterally undo this. Can they be a um, barrier to progress? Absolutely, they can be a barrier to progress, but it's no longer just in their hands. They're going to have to do something i'm sorry um, they're going to have to do something pretty um significant like file to dismiss the decree, which I don't believe that Judge Bidar would
4: entertain. Uh
5: Um,
3: And so they're going to have to do their part in this. And if they have to come um, kicking and screaming, then that's what they're going to have to do. If they take the position that they're not going to do anything, they're going to go silent. They're going to be completely absent and completely leave it up to the mayor and the Baltimore city and the federal courts. Well, that is why um, participation by the advocacy community and community engagement was critical um, before um, the transition in administrations, and now it's do or die. Um, if the community does not take ownership of this consent decree, if the community does not keep all the parties honest, um, if the community does not demand accountability, if the community throws up its hands and say, "Ah, this is never going to work. We're not going to get anything out of this," then it will fail. I cannot say that more bluntly enough. It will fail if the community does not take ownership of this. We they have they have the findings letter. They have the consent decree. I totally believe, believe that there needs to be an independent body within the community that is an equal partner at the table with everybody else that is party to the consent decree to make sure that what the consent decree says should happen, happens. And then that has to run parallel to all the other advocacy efforts, which include changing policy, um, changing LIBOR, um, changing any other policies that make it difficult for citizens to
0: hold the police accountable in Baltimore City. So let me ask the three of you this, because on the heels of what, 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 what uh, Tara Hoffman just said. Um, so what, what, when you use the, the phrase um, uh, uh, that that the community has to take ownership of this, uh, initiate ownership, So what, what does that mean? I mean, in political terms, what does that mean? I understand everything you said, Tara. I think you're absolutely correct mm-hmm. in terms of where the effect could be. Uh, if 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 something doesn't happen drastically to ensure these changes are made, we, Libor itself has been the law uh, enforcement. Uh, Officer's of Bill of Rights um, has been, I mean, to changing that has been a very difficult process in the state legislature, really difficult, and that's a push that c- continues to be made. But so, what do we mean by taking ownership? What does that mean? How does it mean in, a, in practical terms?
1: Well, I, first of all, I think that um, we we have to broaden it, broaden the uh, the, the, the topic beyond just the police. Um, in my opinion, uh, when uh, uh, Mayor Pugh vetoed the $15 an hour minimum wage, that would not take place, a very weak bill, Of uh, uh, when she even uh, vetoed that, to me, that was a strike uh, another strike against the idea of what to do about this the issue uh, of police misconduct for example um the 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 the, the lack of, of 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 job opportunities the fact that there are about a quarter of the population of Baltimore is uh under under uh, above, uh, I'm sorry, below the poverty level, um, uh, it's quite frankly, I think we have to look at the role of the police and what they play, the role that they play in this particular society. So I think that it's, it's more encompassing than just whether there's going to be a, a de, uh, how, uh, uh, whether there's going to be a decree or whether it's going to be enforced. Let's think about it a second. If the decree was even implemented, how many citizens or residents would believe that it's going to stem police misconduct in Baltimore City?
0: So, And, and Brittany, take us a break, and then we're going to open the phone to Ernest, you the first caller up. Brittany?
2: Yes.
0: I was just saying, take us a break with your thoughts on what we've been talking about.
2: So my thoughts is is that again, um, and, and I again I agree with with what has been said so far. Uh, again, it is not going. It's going to take, as I stated before, it's going to take a lot of community engagement for this process. I believe that the consistently moving forward marks the beginning of a really really long rough journey for Baltimore, and either the process will be disconnected from community or it won't. Uh, the way that you tackle structural police reform is by empowering the communities that it will be will, it will be that will be affected. Um, and so, as advocates, what are we willing to do? What what are we committed to doing? We we are knee deep in this process. We have been since the Baltimore uprising and and even before. What are we? How are we going to communicate back to communities to making sure that they understand the process? Which I think. One of the benefits, I think, for, uh, out, with, of what's happened so far is that a lot of people are more aware of what's happening. You know, if there was a time where people didn't know what, what a consent decree was, or a lot of these other um, policies and, and practices that go into reforming an entire city. Uh, so centering community engagement is, 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 is what we got to do.
0: So let me we'll explore that in greater depth and come back from this break. And Ernest, you will be the first caller up. We'll come right back to your call. Do join us here on the way to break. I want to remind you the Mark Steiner show is brought to you in part by MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last eighty years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at W www.mecu.com or at signershow.org is meq, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We'll be back with Tara Huffman, Ken Morgan, Brittany Oliver, and you all at 410 319 8888 as soon as we return. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for Cool, Jazz, and More, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, We are here with Tara Huffman, who is Director of Criminal and Juvenile Justice Programs with the Open Society Institute Baltimore, Dr. Ken Morgan, who is an Assistant Professor and Coordinator of Urban Studies Program and the Department of Criminal Justice and Applied Social and Political Sciences at Coppin State University and a longtime human rights activist, and Brittany Oliver, who is a writer, advocate, photojournalist who is now the Police Accountability Coordinator and Communications Associate at the American Civil Liberties Union of of Mar- Maryland. Civil, Excuse me, American Civil Liberties Union of Maryland. Pardon me, Brittany. And you all at 410-319-8888. Write to us here by email at talk at steinershow.org. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. We do want to hear your ideas and thoughts. Let's go right to the phones at 410-319-8888. And, Ernest, you're on the air. Welcome.
6: Yeah, uh, good, good morning. Good morning, Ernest. Yeah, and to you and your guests. Now, the the best police commissioner, one of the best that we had, was appointed by Kurt L. Schmoke, was Thomas Frazier. And he set out in his uh, uh, Baltimore Police Department uh, community policing procedures. I, I, I wish you could Google that and see the recommendations that he made that was way above board. Uh, early on and he didn't tolerate uh false reports excessive force lying on uh affidavits perjury in court he didn't it, uh, uh assaulting prisoners while they're handcuffed uh not taking them to the hospital when it was required he didn't tolerate any of that uh because you would have a trial board and then he would fire you. And he also had the, uh, wanted to work with the community and things like this. He understood racism as it went along in the police department. And he knew that there was a need for the PAL program where police could be interacting with uh, uh, children uh, in these uh, PAL centers. And it, it would uh, it had they had it was staffed with police officers and people uh, computers that would help help the the, the students with their schoolwork. Uh, and it started at two and I think it ended at ten so a, a child would have a place to go. But what happened with this? They got rid of Thomas Frazier, city council, black people in Baltimore City complained always complaining, got rid of him. Now, it would be a good idea, uh, Mark, uh, to try to get Thomas Frazier on these shows. Now, you can see with all the cameras all over the United States that these police have decided that they're going to keep on doing what they're doing and nobody's going to stop them. And plus the election of this president reinforced that they're going to back them up no matter what they do. So this is why you keep seeing police uh, on a, a minor car stop uh, assaulting an individual that hasn't did anything, stomping them in the head. Uh, the police in the Freddie Gray case, you know, something went wrong. Uh, a young man died, but have they been brought up on a? Regardless of what happened in the criminal court, have they been brought up on brought up on a trial board? Has the investigation continued? No, it just goes on and on and on, and nothing has been done with those police. Uh, I think one retired. So as long as you have this attitude, uh,
0: okay. go ahead and finish up, with I'm sorry. As long that. as
6: they have this attitude, and long that you have a police commissioner is a sweet talking, uh, a lot of bull crap and not doing what he's supposed to do. That you'll have this double talk. And the reason why we know he's double talking is because if the FOP agrees with our police commissioner, then he's not doing what he's
0: supposed to do. All right, it was good to hear from you. I mean, and, and, and you said a lot. I mean, and I, and I, and I, and I look, I, I interviewed Thomas Fraser numerous times when he was police commissioner, numerous times. And one of the things he implemented was here also, which went a long way, I think, inside the community, uh, was was p- police becoming actively involved in the police athletic leagues with kids in the community. Um, he did that. But, I mean, to say it wasn't a panacea at that moment, I mean, to say that all kind of police abuse and mortality ended, but Thomas Fraser didn't exist, is, I, I think, stretching it. But I think that he, he was much more open to what was happening in the community than other people I've seen in that position.
1: I, I think, Mark, I think um, one of the myths is somehow uh, Honorability and ethics, uh, and uh, is is attributed to the, the, a commissioner or a mayor, and uh, th- that's truly a myth. Um, to be frank about it, I, I certainly dis I disagree with with the with with the caller on this, um, uh, because I can recall a number of police brutality cases. In fact. Um, I don't know if we remember the Lancaster one when, when the, uh, Kurt Smoke was uh, the state's attorney uh, on the North and Hartford there. And afterwards, um, uh, I think one of the things that he did he did do, which had nothing to do with Frazier, was to at least raise the national debate and issue over drugs, over illegal drugs, and uh, what that meant in terms of being a health problem. But in reference to... Um, Having an individual, uh, uh, Frazier. If we, I think, what one would have to do to prove that Frazier was somehow uh, this wonderful person would be to look at the records uh, associated with the, with the police at that particular time.
0: So, so, and Tom, I want to come back to where you where you took us in the, in the conversation when we went to break. I'll go back to the phones here. Leo and Kadria. Kadria, you're the next two callers up. Um, just to, when, when you spoke about the. the taking ownership, uh, how does that work politically? Sure. What does that mean?
3: Sure. So, um, um, and I appreciate the question because it is an important question, and, and, and it's one that I think different different folks have slightly different answers to, and I think that the answers are not mutually exclusive. I think it's a both-and situation. And so when you look at other communities, um, I think what folks, what we um, don't appreciate because we're in Baltimore, and for most of us, far from Baltimore is our only context, when we talk to folks who have consent decrees, consent decrees in other cities who've been through a pattern practice investigation and who are currently either implementing consent decrees or maybe they've recently um, their consent decree has been um, dismissed uh, because the city has found to be in substantial compliance um, one of the things that they will say um, and one of the things that even um, the folks at DOJ, um, the team that actually did the pattern practice investigation and then negotiated the consent decree, will say is that Baltimore actually has one of the most community-informed cons- uh, pattern practice investigations and consent decrees um, in recent history. What does that mean? Um, th- that means that specific- specifically because it was a combination of sort of who was on our team, but mostly because of who was in the community and all of the advocacy and activist activity, um, that sort of launched the pattern and practice investigation, and that um, was sustained through the investigation. Um, you know, DOJ was in DOJ got an earful, and rightfully so, from folks in the community who are directly impacted by policing issues. Um, and so, a lot of the recommendations that are in the consent decree came from the community. Um, there are recommendations in our consent decree that you're not going to find in consent decrees that were done two, three, four years ago, or even further back than that, and that's because you had a community that was pressing, um, you know, uh, DOJ went into the community, Community DOJ was dragged um, into certain community forums, they, they sat there, they listened, sometimes they got yelled at, um, sometimes they got cussed at, um, but to their credit, they sort of listened, and so the consent decree is definitely not everything. Um, That activists and advocacy folks in the community who've been leading the fight for policing reform for decades in Baltimore City wanted. But there are things in the consent decree that would not have been in the consent decree but for the level of community involvement leading into it. So now that we're on the other side of it, now it's like what? So the citizens of Baltimore City are not legally a party to the consent decree. Again, it's an agreement between DOJ, between the BPD, and the City of Baltimore. But there are smarter folks than me who are figuring out a way how do you make the community a official formal partner um, formal party to the consent decree which gives the community equal standing at the table which means that if we look up and we figure we decide that one or more of the quote-unquote original parties to the consent decree aren't doing what they're supposed to do we can intervene like legally file motions to intervene and hold the parties accountable short of legal standing um There are a number of things that community can do. Communities can. um, There's going to be a community oversight task force that's supposed to look at ways to do civilian oversight in Baltimore City. Well, there can be an independent commission or even independent commissions um, at the community level um, that are, are you know groups of citizens either across the city or in different pockets of the city who come together and say we're going to pay attention to this process and. There are all kinds of requirements in the consent decree about um, what information has to be made public, what um, certain steps have to be taken, um, you know, at particular points in time. There are dates attached to stuff. You know, there are folks in the community who could say, okay, we as a group of citizens are going to be paying attention to that. And if they miss one deadline, we're going to be on it. If there's supposed to be some report posted somewhere and they didn't post a report, we're going to be on it. We're going to read the report, and if we, um, to Dr. Morgan's point, we see a bunch of smoke and mirrors. We're calling it out. Um, so there are ways that the the community can, um, for lack of a better word, you know, just just keep everybody everybody honest in a formal way. You know, uh, standing up and saying we are <laughs> the independent commission um, to this consent decree. Um, Mr. Federal Monitor, you have to listen to us. Um, we're going to be in your face and you're going to have to answer to us and you know take our thoughts and our opinions into account. That's just one way and it's not the only way. There are many, many other ideas, again, other activists who are much smarter than I am who are thinking through this and putting forth recommendations to the city and to the police department um, and to DOJ uh, to the extent that you know they still are part of the consensus. decree about how to move forward but even if neither one of those parties accept it, quote-unquote, formally, it can still be done informally and be done in a way that it still has an impact. Again, and I'll close with this, the reason we are where we are today is because of all of the activity in the streets, is because of all of the um, uh, advocacy in Annapolis, is because of all of the direct actions um, that folks in different levels... We are here because of that. And so that has to not only continue, now it has to increase even the more, and we have a legal document um, that we can use to our advantage, and that's what we, you know, there are some who will see the consent decree as not worth the paper that it's written on. There are others who will approach the consent decree as, okay, now this, we can, how do we use this to our advantage to leverage the stuff that we're already doing, because now it is law.
0: So and, and and on the way to the phones here, Brittany. I I wonder, as somebody who works kind of in between this legal system at ACLU and the community, <laughs> in many mm-hmm. ways, how, how you see what Tara is describing being implemented.
2: Sure. So I mean, I I I, I mean, I second everything that she she said. I mean, she, I mean, she's on point for me, just because I you know I know that a lot of you know a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions about the the process and. Again, you know, I just keep going back to saying that it is definitely not the answer or the only answer to achieving police reform. Um, you know, there has been since the Baltimore uprising and, and, and again even before, because these issues are not new, there has been a ton of activism and a ton of luring that has that have gone into this process and, and, and that has got us here so far to have a conversation that we were not having years you know, years ago. So I think that um, you know I think that we are on a on again on a on a path to to a really really long journey and if we you know we live in in Baltimore uh, we care about Baltimore and you know we're gonna I, I think that we're committed <laughs> I think at this point uh, we are all committed to to making sure that we are able to. You know, see this process through, whether it be good or bad. You know, um, and yeah, I mean that's that is pretty much the role that I that I've been playing. And I also I also think that it is really important to invest into grassroots organizations that's in Baltimore um, that is working on this issue because that is what it's going to take. Grassroots power is going to take push on legislation and policies and you know, to get this moving, move, moving through. We're not going to be able to be successful in this process if we do not empower grassroots communities. It just won't happen. And, Mark, if I can just jump back in really yeah, quickly. I do, to, I
0: do need to get the phones here. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Tara, sure. but go ahead yeah. very quickly.
3: No, just very quickly, I, just to the last point that um, Brittany made, uh, I know that there, and we stand with many in the activist community, you know, calling for the fact that of the $1.4 million that's been set aside for the federal monitor, Um, a portion of that money needs to be used to fund grassroots community groups to work side-by-side with the federal monitor to make sure that this thing, you know, to make sure the consent decree um, is, in fact, um, implemented and enforced. I also um, am calling on and working with other folks in the philanthropic community to make sure that if that doesn't happen or if additional resources are needed, that these grassroots groups continue to get the funding that they need to do all of the things that, you know, we're talking about need to be done in terms of community engagement.
0: These are very critical points, so we have to really kind of unravel uh, during the course of these coming months in these discussions. Let me open the phone so we turn over back to Ken Morgan at 410-319-8888. Cadre you're on the air. Welcome. Good
5: morning. My comment is that uh, you cannot teach people tolerance, okay? is that's, that's the aim of the... Uh, consent form is to teach people tolerance. You cannot teach people tolerance. It is either it is there or it's not there. When you have people who look at a teenager and say he looks like a monster just because he looks different from you, you never teach that man nothing. That stuff is in that man and that's how it is. Someone said on this show a while back that even the targets that they uh, use for target practice are black targets, okay? You know, my whole thing is you have to, I should believe, you should teach our boys self-defense, number one, because they have a right to defend themselves. Number one, again, again to the lady who just called, you should empower the people in because they have the right to defend themselves, and these are their future. You see, these are things for tomorrow, which is deliberately uh, uh, being destroyed by, I'm sorry, this white race. You have presidents in there, at least President Johnson, I will say, he tried to do something when the riots was on. Obama didn't make a move, Okay. Comments do not help
0: bullets against young men, and that's my comment. You cannot teach people not to hate. Okay. Thank you, Kadria. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I would challenge a little bit there, and Ken, you can jump in here. I mean, I think that 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 um, there's no question that racism and a, a, a hatred in a, a runs deep in this country, very deep, um, and in the marrow. As I like to say, it's in, it's in the marrow of the bone of the society. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't change. It doesn't mean things have not changed. It doesn't mean that you've seen people change because of the interaction they're forced to have, whether it's in political struggle or in the interaction with communities A and B. There was an interesting study we talked about in the show yesterday uh, with uh, James Foreman Jr. uh, in his new book. And one of the studies he pointed out to was a study done at the University of Michigan 40 years ago or so but showing that that it, it, even though the racism exists deeply with a lot of white officers, it, part of the problem is all officers, black, white, whoever they are, uh, have real disengagement and anger towards people in the poorest black sections of our country. So, I mean, it's a complex question, which you can unteach and unravel.
1: Uh, well, I um, uh, uh, thank you for— In the mic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're very kind, Mark. I, th- I
1: think that uh, I mean I think that w- evidence has has shown that it's not about just racism. It's about social class. Um, uh, blacks happen to be disproportionately, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in marginalized uh, neighborhoods and areas, um, and also we don't hear a whole lot f- from what happens in Pigtown. Or uh, other places where there are marginalized or working class whites. Now, I'm not suggesting that that they're the same, because they're not. However, the larger context is police misconduct is much larger than uh, race. We're talking about alienation of, you know, if we're talking about, for example, street crime, we're talking about alienation from what? alienation from a a kind of a dog-eat-dog, competitive, I-don't-care-about-myself-or-others mentality that's not generated by poverty, but generated by the very system in which we're part of. And that's where the role of the police comes into play. Um, They're they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, And speaking to um, uh, activism, um, in reference to reform um, there can be it has to be independent um, For example, for the last two or three like it's the last two years in terms of Leoboard this uh, law enforcement act, you know um, nothing has really uh, passed or been done. Uh, if you look at the uh, of how Mosby was treated in reference to just bringing charges against the police and rightly so in my opinion, all of, the, all of, the, of the, 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 the backlash that said that you didn't have a case uh, and all these other kinds of things, I think they're tremendous indicators of uh, the issues being systemic and requiring, uh, requiring methods beyond uh, the system. Uh, if you look at, for example, the, the lady said something about race, uh, and I'm thinking about the Black Panthers, now um, you know, the Black Panthers, they started out with uh, being against the police, um, in, uh, police brutality in Oakland. Um, the problem uh, existed that where, uh, from a point of view of just battling the cops, it kind of reinforces the whole uh, bringing down the house on, on, on folks who uh, you know, practice so- self-defense. So there, there has to be much larger social changes um, for it to exist, quite frankly. And I think that we're missing the boat on that. Police review boards. Police review boards simply do not work. Well, they can work. The,
0: well, if they have teeth, if they have the ability. Yeah. if, if well,
1: we, this it, is the deal, though, I think, that, um, for example, in terms of indictments, um, it, it, the, the judicial part of all of this is there. And so there needs to be some kind of indictment uh, by a you know, district attorney or someone unless, of course, the district attorney is
0: the community board.
1: So I think that's, that's a conundrum, in, in my opinion.
0: So let me on the way back to our other two guests. Let me go back to the phones here. 410-319-8888. Leo, you're on the yeah. air. Welcome.
4: Yes. Good morning, everybody. How you doing?
0: Very well, Leo. Good morning.
4: Well, I must tell you that I think the department should be placed in receivership. This consent decree seems to be a blank check in terms of the flow of monies to white men who run a department run predominantly by white men who don't live in Baltimore City. Uh, the Civilian Review Board, yeah, it could work, but they don't intend to have it work because they're not providing subpoena powers or an independent method by which civilians are placed on that board, and the 1974 Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, well, they said to hell with that. They intend not to reform the 1974 Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights. You must remember that this mayor went to the FOP on, on her knees uh, some months ago after she was elected, asking and begging them to do thus and so. Bob Cherry, Gene Ryan... Too damn much power from the fraternal order of police who called the shots in Annapolis and in Baltimore City. And lastly, what will the Greater Baltimore Committee do and the Baltimore Development Corporation do in terms of their philanthropic efforts to ensure that uh, the needs of the community are being met with regard to housing, homelessness, and joblessness? has everything to do with the subject you're speaking of, and I don't see the NAACP local chapter or the Urban League doing a damn thing in the way that they used to do 30, 40 years ago to ensure that we are protected. Thank God for Dr. Morgan and other individual organizations who are fighting for our best interests.
0: Leo, good to hear me. Thank you so much. Um, Let me uh, go back to our guests. Uh, And and, uh, Tara, how would you like to respond to all that? Tara? Did we lose Tara? <laughs> Sounds like <Exactly>. it. Because <laughs> um, my screen just went blank here. I can't see a thing on the big screen here, so I have no idea what's going on across the glass. Uh, Brittany, how would you like to respond to that?
2: So uh, so thank you for, uh, for calling in and giving your thoughts. I think that there is a lot of, throughout this process, uh, there are a lot of advocates, a lot of organizations, um, you know, who have been working on this issue, and I think that we you know we just we need to keep adding pressure together and and there are always ways that we should be thinking about what what has worked in the past in terms of uh, advocacy and what hasn't worked. I think that we should be having more and more conversations about what more we could be doing um you know to achieving you, you know in, in engagement I would I would say. So I um you know, I I, I, I hear the caller. I, I think that we we all need to do a better job of um holding each other accountable and um you know so that I mean we're we're again we're we are we are this far in, in the process, so and I and I think that we're all pretty committed. Um that's what I would that is that is what I'm thinking. But Dr. Ken Morgan can,
0: uh, can comment on that if you'd like. And Tara, is Tara back? Tara, hey, Tara. Yes. Sorry. I'm here. There you. You are. Sorry. little computer problem there, but I'm glad you're here. So so, what, how would you respond to what you heard from Leo?
3: Um, I would say that um, his, his comments, um, and I think the comments of previous callers, um, highlight just how complex mm. this issue is. Um, if you sort of, uh, if you're a visual person, if you've ever, if you know what the Epcot Center looks like, I'm down in Orlando, so that's what's coming to mind for me <laughs> right now. Um, down in the warm weather know, there. <laughs> what well, yeah. <laughs> Really? We're jealous. Um, Go ahead. If you visualize what the Epcot Center looks like, um, and at each point where a line meets, that's a node, right? So there are, there will be like hundreds of nodes all over the Epcot Center, you know, and each one connected to the other. So the consent decree is just one node <laughs> in this entire policing reform context. And so I think that the sort of skepticism, the downright suspicion um, that you might hear, that we, that we do hear being expressed about the consent decree is justified because it's one node. Um, or to Brittany's point, if you want to think of it more like an iceberg, and it's an iceberg that's five miles deep, we haven't even run a lap yet in terms of what it's going to take for us to reform um, this department in particular, and then the culture of policing in general. So I think that it is it's good to keep healthy skepticism. It's good to continue to interrogate the process as we move forward. But I think that level of interrogation is not something to be to dismissed. I think it's something to be invited. Um, because I, it, I, this isn't going to be easy. I like the way that Brittany phrased it at the top of the um, top of the show. This is just the beginning of a very long and a very painful, very political um, process, um, a very um, social process, um, a very class-specific. I mean, you, just every social sociology term you can possibly think of is going. It has been implicated and will continue to be implicated as we move forward and so as long as we keep this each particular effort in context and how it is connected to the rest of what's going on I think that's going to be the challenge that's the complexity but that's also where the progress I think if we let go of anything if we let go of the consent decree and just focus on policy or if we put all of our investment in the consent decree I I I told folks you know who are other officers of foundations I was like if the, the, the police department and the city are going to come forward asking for funding to help make this happen, we should entertain and, and seriously consider those funding requests. But if we put all of our so, investments in the I'm system gonna... side and not in the grassroots side, we're going to miss the boat.
0: So I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you because we're just up against the clock and out of time. I want to thank Tara Hoffman, Director of Criminal and Juvenile Justice Programs uh, for o- OSI Baltimore for joining us. Dr. Ken Morgan from Coppin State, Brittany Oliver from the ACLU. Thank the three of you so much for joining us here. Okay, Mark. Very good. And- thank you. And we have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Dominic Stevenson and Asher Mesh Aman about the spirit of rebellion and the Tubman House and the spot where uh, Freddie Gray was arrested. Reminding you on a way to break, the Mark Saunders Show is brought to you in part by the Maryland State Education Association from limiting over testing and protecting public schools funding. You can learn more about the issues facing Maryland students, parents, and schools by visiting the Maryland State Education Association's website at MarylandEducators.org. That's MarylandEducators.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. <music>